Lesho back across behind. Urso from long range, he scores! Just waiting on the final VAR check, but uh, and imagine I there would be, oh I my think, goodness I think, gracious. I think. We've now been waiting about a minute and a half for Pekmich to make this call. Kara says, well, what did I do? <laughs> Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Orlando Soccer Show. Uh, it's It's been uh, like two weeks since we recorded because we haven't really recorded. Everyone's been kind of doing their own thing. Uh, I was up in Chicago for the fire game last week. Gavin's been moving into a new house. Uh, Brad has been working, and we have Kyle. Kyle is here. Hi, Kyle. Hi, I am. I am here. I watched soccer. Yeah. I don't know if it was good soccer, but I watched it. <laughs> uh, so um, that is kind of how we are uh, approaching this. Uh, we, 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 we hoped we could have done it every week as we have done in the past, but uh, life happens. But life also finds a way, as, as, as they say. So uh, we're here to talk about Orlando City, Orlando Pride, and Orlando City B. They're a thing again, and they've hired a coaching staff. There's still no roster, and they're less than a month away from playing, but they have a coaching staff. So without further ado, Kyle, let's talk about Chicago. Uh, I was there for the game covering for the Orlando Sentinel, and boy howdy, that was uh, an interesting one. Um, the, it, the, it was a game. That it was is a game. Definitely... <laughs> that is one way to put it. Uh, the wind... On the day was gusts of 20 miles per hour, and throughout the game, you could very much see that the wind was affecting the play because balls would literally die in the air and blow backwards. And man, I I just it was it was something that there were uh, moments where the boards, like the the ad boards around the um, field, they were blowing away. And staffers had to stand on them to keep them from blowing away. Uh, so rather than like nailing them down into the ground, they just stood on them for the rest of the game. So that's how the the field conditions were. That sounds like MLS and their approach to dealing with things. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's Chicago. The weather was so was so weird over the last like the, well, the couple I mean, days. It, it's not like anybody should ever expect Chicago to be very windy. It's not called the Windy City for nothing, right? Exactly. Anyways, it, like literally, I got there Friday, and it was in the 40s. Saturday, mid-60s, but windy. Sunday, back into the 40s. So, like literally, the day of the game was the best day weather-wise of like the last month in Chicago. So... All things considered, it could have been a lot worse. You you could have been playing in snow because it started snowing Monday. So Orlando City should count themselves lucky that they didn't have to play in that. But uh, they did have to play with some controversial referee decisions because that is not a constant in MLS. Definitely not. I'm sorry. Are you telling me that pro referees are not top-notch quality, that they might make bad decisions that are baffling upon video review i i for one sir am offended by that implication it's not like we haven't talked about that in the show over the last seven years of this 
listen, Ted Uncle will not stand for this. You're right, because he's retired. <laughs> yes, I know, but... So he's sitting down for this, in fact. I mean, he could be standing right now. We don't know. This is this is very true. He, he very well could be, right as we're recording, standing up somewhere in the world. I saw his wife on uh, on Paramount Plus's coverage of the Champions League the other day. Yes, and uh, this will this will surprise you. She was really wrong. I... The uncles had a bad refereeing take. I will not comment on that. I will let that move on to the game. Chicago and Orlando. It finished nil-nil. Um, probably shouldn't have finished nil-nil. But let's just go ahead and talk about the controversy, and then we'll get into the rest of the game. So Junior Urso scored a goal, which was, in fact, wiped away by a VAR. Um, 73rd minute, Junior Urso hits a ball towards goal, takes a heavy deflection, goes into the back of the net, and he's celebrating. Everyone's like, hey, Orlando scored. There's a goal in this game. Fire fans are upset. And then all of a sudden, we're, we're getting VAR review. And at, when we were all sitting in the press box, me and all the other Chicago-based writers, we, we were like, what happened? Because wasn't, there wasn't an offside. And um, we started seeing the replay. And we're like, huh. I mean, that looks like a chess trap. And he kind of directs it. And then there was like an angle where it like changes direction and they're like, oh, are they looking at a handball? And even the fire riders around me are like, you can't see it definitively. And that brings up the argument of clear and obvious because that that has been the big talking point from this game. Was the call clear and obvious? And the answer is that it wasn't. If you watch the play, there is no clear and definitive angle saying that was 100% a handball. And having talked to everybody involved in that play over the course of the last week, I talked to Urchon. He said he did not hand the ball or didn't hit his arm. It hit his chest. That's what he told me. Junior, he said that uh, there was really not much of a description given by the referee after the fact. Oscar said he's, he's very upset, and he's still upset even when I talked to him on Wednesday. It, it was just uh, not great. And for the second game of the MLS season to already have a uh, controversial decision that who knows if it will affect Orlando down the line uh, is disappointing, uh, but not surprising, I guess. Uh, it is. It has been something that, I, again, we've been doing this show since late 2015, Kyle. I can't tell you how many times that we have talked about this in the past where we have discussed a, a controversial decision made by the referee that has impacted the outcome of a game. And uh, at this point, it's it's like, what wh what do we do? We can talk about it all we want, but it's done. And uh, <laughs> the team is already moving on from it. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're already talking about their game this weekend, today, in fact. And, uh, you know, not, mu not much else to say in the, in the, grand scheme of things other than the the call was not clear and obvious and that's the, i mean part of my frustration with the rule in general is the idea that that it has to be clear and obvious because that is such a subjective even though it's mm -hmm. designed to it's worded in a way that i i guess the the intention is oh well, it has to be so obvious that nobody could possibly dispute this but 
someone's always going to dispute it and someone's always going to you're going to get first of all a referee is always going to look at a decision and feel like to them it is the most obviously correct decision so if a referee if if VAR is looking at this and they think it might have been a handball they it is going to be way easier for them to convince themselves that they have seen a handball and that there was an obvious error by by the other referee because why otherwise what what purpose do they serve if they're not actually doing anything so they're going to they're going to feel very convicted that that what they've seen is reality and i don't i don't necessarily fault them for that but there's no clear guideline on what actually is clear and obvious and that that to me is such an odd phrasing and i don't like it and it like you look at this and there wasn't a clear handball there wasn't evidence of something there wasn't a way for this to have actually been considered an issue but again it comes down to we've been doing this show for, for years and every year we're talking about MLS refereeing issues and it's not unique to Orlando City games this isn't like hey Orlando City gets robbed by bad referees this is league-wide constant you know I think to call it subpar refereeing would be offensive to subpar referees and, and so and just a quick background on Ismir Pekmich because he was the referee for this game uh this was only his seventh MLS game that he has called um to put it to you in in layman's terms here, um, in the seven games that he is called as as a referee, he is given twenty one yellow cards. Just, Sounds like a lot. Just yeah, and he's called. He's done a lot of USL Championship games, sixty five of them. He's given two hundred and thirty six yellow cards. Also, seems like quite a quite a bit. Yes. And I think part of it, though, like part of my frustration is that it's not really an issue with specific referees. It's a league it's issue. Not, it's not no, like, no, no, I, it's I, not, I, right. It's, right. It's, it's not like there's like one or two referees that are notoriously bad. I mean, there there are some that are notoriously bad in comparison to the other ones. But it's it's not like this is an issue where there's only a handful of, of referees that are below standards and so we just it, there's just an issue with that it's just it's such a league-wide massive issue that clearly it's a problem with the refereeing organization as a whole and not individual referees and that to me is extremely egregious mm. yeah and again we can spend a lot of time talking about the the league issues and and i can bring up the fact that uh you know years ago when i was funny enough in chicago uh i went to a a pro referees talk and and i i remember talking to howard webb talking to howard webb and he said we have the best assistant referees in the world and he was talking about how the the referees are being held to a higher standard and and this that and the other and then nothing really changed after that so uh, it, it's easy to kind of present this as as one thing and then in the background having to make calls to teams apologizing for their referees making decisions that were wrong uh, which has happened to a bunch of MLS teams in the past i, I mean i can t- i can tell you i've talked to a number of front office people within a multitude of MLS teams who have gotten calls from the pro referees organization apologizing for calls in the past. It happens. 
Now, getting the call wrong and then apologizing for it is one thing, but getting the call wrong in the moment, it, it doesn't, an apology doesn't fix it. So there like like fans have been saying there there has to be a higher standard for these referees uh there needs to be more not necessarily accountability just better training better understanding of some of the rules because i mean there was a time where heck last year 20 well 2020 during the NYCFC Orlando match in the in the uh penalty shootout i mean there was a mismanagement of the rules during the entire time that shouldn't happen. No, and, and that's you kind of mentioned it, it being such a large issue, and there there being so many issues, and the idea of like admitting, hey, yeah, we screwed up. Here's an apology, and then things don't change. It's it at that point, the apology is is arguably even more offensive than the bad calls. Like, stop, stop screwing these things up, and then going, oh, but we're real sorry, but we're also gonna continue to do these to make these bad calls and we're going to continue to have these issues and we're not really going to do anything about it because doing something about it requires us admitting that we've we've screwed up at at a fundamental level and changing things structurally and and there's no desire to do that but even even beyond that just in context of the Orlando City game like like Orlando was not I I don't know if I necessarily see this game as as it being robbed because I don't think outside of that one instance there was really a, a time where Orlando showed that, that that a win was deserved out of that game. I would say and that, that goal, a draw, I, uh, outside of that like chance, a, a draw is a, a draw is fine. Yeah, you get a draw on the road in bad weather conditions. That is that is more than perfectly acceptable. Right. I think it's obviously just disappointing because there was the goal that was scored. Right. And and it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. But at the end of the day, Orlando had zero shots on target. They had five shots total. The possession was fairly even. It was a very, very physical game. I mean, I think there was, oh, how many fouls? I brought this up to Oscar because there was 35 fouls, 21 against Chicago. Like, very, very physical game. And and one of the things that Ezra Hedrickson said after the game, uh, the Chicago head coach, he said that if we're not going to win the game, you're not going to win the game. That is what I tell my team. That is how we play the game, and yeah, I mean it kind of it kind of felt like that throughout most of the game. Whereas you know, the Fire haven't scored a goal this year, but they also haven't technically conceded a goal this year. So at one point, the Chicago Fire had the record for most draws in an MLS season uh, until Nashville broke that. But uh, I don't know why it just kind of feels like that's that's a possibility again. Yeah, they looked they looked really rough to play against, and, and I think in general going on the road in MLS is tough. But going on the road in MLS in bad weather conditions against a team determined to stifle everything you try to do, I mean that's what we saw on the field. It was Chicago was not going to allow Orlando to do anything, and Orlando did did not look did not look cohesive. And it was well, I I guess maybe that's not the best way to phrase it because I don't think it's necessarily that Orlando looked bad. I just think. Chicago did such a good job of roughing Orlando up mm-hmm. that it was impossible to find any rhythm. And they, I, I, it, but it, I don't, it wasn't I don't really see it as a knock on Orlando. Right. You know, and here's the thing. It wasn't just that they were, you know, fouling everybody. They were they were going after and being more physical with 
certain players, and I'm not saying they were like targeting them, but the statistics don't lie. Uh, Mauricio Pereira and Facundo Torres were both fouled five times out of the 21 fouls that Chicago committed. And when you have your two big playmakers being fouled the most out of anybody on your team, it certainly raises an eyebrow. Yeah. I, I, look, it's it's a smart strategy. You look at look at U.S. soccer issues in Concacaf, and look at what the strategy of of most of the smaller Concacaf sides are. The yeah. strategy is just take out take the good players out of the game by keeping them on the ground. And I don't think it was malicious. I don't think there, I mean obviously there weren't any like massive injuries or any any crazy like absurd tackles. But I think it was just a strategy of we're just going to take them out of the game. We're going to make it so they're not effective, and it it works. It's it's old school. It's you know. Put put your what's the what's the phrase? Uh, nose to the, is it nose, nose to the grindstone? To the grindstone. Is that, yeah, that that's the phrase. Uh, it's that type of playing, and it does work. It it's not going to win you anything in the modern age, uh, but it also didn't really win you much historically either. But it will it will keep you from losing games against better attacking sides if you can just limit their ability to do anything on the ball. Yeah. Oh, I should also mention that Cesar Araujo was also fouled five times. So that's 15 of the 21 fouls against three separate players. Definitely interesting. Which is which, which is more fouls than Orlando City uh, committed as an entire team. Orlando committed 14 fouls in the game. Correct. Just, uh, just wild. Interesting, interesting, interesting stats. Uh, and again, stats don't lie. They're numbers. While we're on the subject of Cesar Araujo, though, I would like to talk to him about his play a little bit, and then we'll kind of move into talking about Cincinnati because that is the next game coming up. Well, he's been Cincinnati. he's been spectacular uh, as a twenty year old player playing as basically a single pivot. He's been basically filling in for Sebas Mendes, who's healthy, but he didn't have as much preseason with the team as Araujo did. Araujo was the the starting defensive midfielder in almost every single preseason game while Sebas was also doing national team duty. It is interesting to, to see with uh, with Cesar just how he has been compared to how he started in the preseason because like his first game, you know, it was rough. He, he had uh, some really poor turnovers against Minnesota United. That was his first ever game with the team. But how far he's come in such a short time has been kind of impressive to see just how his his growth is because it he's been solid like really really solid as a defensive midfielder like his his passing accuracy is is around 80 percent and you know that was in a an away game where passes were at a premium but he was still hitting at an 80 percent clip which is better than just about every other starter yeah, actually, no. He, he, the only other starter that had a better passing accuracy was Antonio Carlos and Rodrigo Schlegel, but that's because they were passing it around the back. You know, with with Cesar, he was he was passing around the back, sure, but he was also passing balls forward and trying to get more uh, chances into the attack. He was even you know playing as that linking midfielder between the defense and the midfield. So it's it's been really impressive to see him as as a fresh face coming into the team and and. You know, they signed him to a U22 initiative deal for a reason. They thought he would be an incredibly talented young player, and he's he's proving to that that point to be right. Yeah, and it's and it's good to see these like the the talented young players actually like 
pay off on the field. Um, not only just historically in the sport, but historically with Orlando City, young signings that that have potential has been a risky endeavor. So to see it actually pay off is is very good. Absolutely, right. With that. I think we will go ahead and talk about the prep for FC Cincinnati. Uh, now, Cincinnati has uh, what? 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 What do we say about Cincinnati here? They've been poor, uh, not just this year, but they're 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 uh, what three time winners of the Wooden Spoon in MLS, and that's not an award you want to have. Um, I remember talking to Pat Brennan, the Cincinnati Enquirer beat writer, and like. You could just see the life has have has drained from him over the course of covering this team over their MLS tenure. Uh, it, it is not a good time. Like their stadium is spectacular, their team is not, and it's very unfortunate. They've they've gone through a lot of painful growth since they've come into MLS, and they just have not been able to find their right footing. Now, granted, it took Orlando City some time to find their footing after becoming an expansion team. You often find teams that have not had previous experience playing, and by that I mean like an Atlanta or NYCFC, they sometimes have a better time coming into the league because they're not trying to take that minor league mentality and translate it into major league. And again, I'm not knocking that. It's just that it's sometimes an easier and quicker transition. I don't think that fans would necessarily be upset with the grassroots mentality because it's it's you know you're you're starting following the team from the start and i think cincinnati fans who've been there since the usl days or even you know pre uh usl days can appreciate you know having been there and, and kind of gone through the bad and hopefully will go through the good eventually but right now um they are a very unknown team and orlando funny enough has already played FC Cincinnati in preseason. This was back on February 18th, and uh, it was a 2-2 final in that game. So they've already got a little bit of experience playing them in the preseason, but things will change quite a bit for both teams because it's preseason, and preseason results don't matter. So, uh, Kyle, thoughts on FC Cincinnati? I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, talking about how you know, kind of, kind of comparable to some of the Orlando City origins. Some, some real rough growing pains in the beginning. Obviously, it's taken much longer than than we would have liked for us to see some promising signs from Orlando City. I think Cincinnati's about where Orlando was at, just a couple years into expansion. I think it's it's unfortunate to see expansions take longer for the for those clubs to to manage to be able to do anything decent. So, I mean, I guess in the short term, it's good to be playing them because I think Orlando as an organization is in a much better position than Cincinnati. But I I do not envy fans of that organization, even though we, we know their pain. Yes. And and that's the thing, you know, it's it's not been it's never been as bad for Orlando as FC Cincinnati's has been, because at least Orlando has been competitive and like close to making the playoffs before they made it in 2020 a Cincinnati is not they've just been bottom of the barrel every year just about and it's it's unfortunate because it's a 
it's a soccer city. You know, they they embrace soccer. You saw it in USL where they had you know a, a sell almost a sellout crowd for the lower bowl of uh, the Cincinnati University Cincinnati Stadium and against what I think it was Chicago in the U.S. Open Cup, and, and that really got a lot of people's attention, saying, "Wow, like it! Wow, look at look at the crowd for this team. You know, it's it's a minor league team and." very similarly to how Orlando was in the 2013 championship game where they had the crowd of 20,000 and it got a lot of people talking like, hey, is Orlando an MLS team? But again, Orlando has found success. They have made the playoffs. Still no trophies. Cincinnati is, is well, they just haven't. And, and there's been a lot to go along with that. Like a lot. So that is uh, unfortunate, but... It's for Orlando's gain, hopefully, as they take them on at home tonight at Exploria Stadium. It should be a, a offensive game for Orlando. Now, I will say this. FC Cincinnati's first game of the season was bad. They lost 5 nothing to Austin. But when they played DC United, it was only one nothing, And the goal that ended up winning the game was in the 98th minute. Eighth minute of stoppage time. So it was definitely a more even game, all things considered. Now, that was at Cincinnati. So usually Cincinnati has done better at home than away. But you can see a little bit of progress in, on, under their new manager, Pat Noonan. Could it translate over to their next game against Orlando? We really don't know. Having talked to Oscar, having talked to Urchon Kara, having talked to Ruben Janssen this week, yeah, they all respect their opponents. Regardless of how they've been in the past, they they respect the opponent and what they are able to do. They don't, won't take it lightly, uh, so they say. But I, I think that if Orlando doesn't score at least two goals, it would be a bit of a disappointment for, for their team. I think they need a bit of a offensive outburst all things considered, yeah, if, because if, if, if when, when you look at Orlando through their first couple games of the season, they haven't necessarily been offensive dynamos. Like, yes, they scored two goals against Montreal, but they only had three shots on target. And they've had three shots on target this entire season through, well, it's only two games. But still, three shots on target through two games is not ideal. I think I think if there's a game to, to get your offensive prowess back on track this is definitely it that is the hope heading into this game tonight and again it's on lion nation so you can tune in on the uh, the old website or you can head to the game and uh, purchase a ticket because they are still available so uh with that yeah let's go ahead and move on to the orlando pride so uh they played a couple scrimmages since the last show we did the uh Kansas City current scrimmage, which ended nil-nil. They played FSU, which they lost 2-0. And, um, oh, now they're getting ready for the Challenge Cup, which starts next Saturday, so a week from today. I, I, I still don't know what this team will look like down the road. I think they will be an interesting team to watch. Uh, watching them against Kansas City... There were some things that I saw that were really promising and some things that I saw that were a bit worrisome. 
But that's what preseason is all about, is to fix those worrisome things and build on those promising things. So I think that the trajectory that they're going with, with the amount of young players that they have mixed in with the veterans, I think they could be a very surprising team through this season. I don't want to say, yeah, you know, they're going to make the playoffs because, well, they've only made the playoffs once, and that was even having star players. But one of the things I talked to Megan Montefusco about, and Megan is one of the new players who came over from Houston in the Mercer Vigiano trade, she talked a little bit about how Orlando in the past has had so many international players that it has been so hard to get cohesion and consistency within their team because players have been getting called up and doing uh, you know, World Cup qualifiers or Olympics or et cetera, et cetera, to the point where it's, you know, despite having a great team on paper, they just haven't been able to put together results because players have been gone. And so she experienced that in Houston quite a bit as well because Houston had, I think, one of the most international call-ups for the Olympics in 2021. Because I remember calling... I called the Houston Dash game when they played OL Reign last year. And I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. But they... They just... They, they, they had like nine players going internationally for the Olympics. And, it, you know, she speaks from experience, says Megan. Because she's not only played for a team that has experienced that, but she's played against Orlando when they've gone through that. So I think now having three, four players getting called up for national teams, you know, Marta, Aaron McLeod, uh, Gunny Yon's daughter. And I'm trying to remember there's one more. Uh, Celia Jimenez has gotten called up a couple times for Spain. And there is one more that I am completely forgetting. Anyways, the point of the matter is, the hope is that with all the young players that they are able to build some cohesion and consistency throughout the team and also build these young players into potential stars in the league. A lot of times, you know, players that are young are kind of overlooked, but the competitive difference between college soccer on the women's side versus NWSL is a lot smaller of a gap compared to the men's college soccer and men's professional soccer. I think that that's not a knock on women's college soccer. I think it's more of a uh, a boon for it because they are so competitive that women's college soccer teams like FSU can take on professional women's soccer teams and be competitive against them. I think that w- the difference between the men's leagues where you have the, you know, all of the players coming from overseas versus NWSL where you've had a lot of domestic growth is that you have players that are going through the college systems and becoming professional players and becoming very good professional players. And I think that <clears throat> the the potential for a lot of these players that the Pride have drafted or have had in camp over the course of the last year or two is very high. And I think that's what Ian Fleming, the general manager of the team, is hoping on and banking on is that these high potential players will become high enacting players for the Pride over the course of this next couple years because one of the things that Ian said to me is that it's it's not just this year we're looking at two years three years four years down the road it's not going to be a year-by-year project it's going to be a multi-year project so they're not just going to look at it every year and say all right what do we need to do for this year 
It's what do we need to do for the next five years to keep consistency, to keep players, to keep winning, to keep growing. And that's something that maybe necessarily the Pride haven't had in the last couple of years is that long-term approach. And I think that Ian being a GM for the Pride in general is very helpful because early Pride, it was Tom Sermani and crew, and, and they were double-dipping with the Pride and City GM, and they didn't have just a separate entity for the Pride. So now that they do, and then they have a, a long-term plan in place, you could start seeing some of these younger players becoming future stars in this league. Yeah, and I think the Pride are making the the right approach in terms of, of developing and similar to how we've wanted Orlando City to make a certain approach that we're starting to see. So I think it's I think it's good and like you said, we've got to actually see it pay off. But the approach I feel like has a low downside, low risk, high reward potential. And again, that's that's kind of the approach is like Ian Fleming is a numbers guy. He's he's an analytics guy. So taking a look and, and kind of trying to figure out who are the best players that can fit this team that Amanda Cromwell is now the head coach of is an interesting process. You know, talking with Amanda and talking with Ian, they, they, they've, they've been working in tandem. You know, Ian, Amanda was Ian's choice for, for coach. Uh, Mark was not Ian's pick. He was there when Ian came in. And then Mark left. Becky didn't stay on. So this was the first time that Ian has actually been able to to kind of have the coach he wanted for his vision of the team to go in tandem with her vision of the team. So the hope is that now that they have this big plan in place that they can build over the course of the next couple of years. And again, it's kind of funny because a lot of players and you know, they're all from kind of California area. You've got a lot of former UCLA players, former players that have played against Amanda Cromwell in college that she's familiar with. And talking to Megan Montefusco yesterday or on Thursday during the media day, she joked and she said, well, when we graduated, Amanda told us, when I get to the pros, I'm taking you all with me. And she wasn't kidding. So with that, I think the pride uh, with their schedule coming out, who knows when, because the only schedule that is out of the Challenge Cup schedule, where they're playing six games, three home, three away against Washington, North Carolina, and Gotham. The Pride's uh, regular season schedule is still not out. And that is uh, frustrating for a lot of people. Uh, mainly the teams. Because if there's no regular season schedule, there's no marketing for certain games, certain days, certain times. You don't know when you're playing next. You only have a six-game window of when you're playing. You can't advertise to communities saying, hey, make this you know game a priority for you in, in you know June or July when the summer is going on and the kids are out of school. Bring the whole team. Can't do that. There's no schedule. So it's very frustrating for teams and, and their marketing departments because they, they can't do anything and they're very limited to just these six games for the Challenge Cup, which are, are almost going to be treated like preseason games by some teams. There's going to be heavy rotation. I mean, talking to Amanda on Thursday for, for Media Day, she said there's going to be a lot of rotation for the Pride during this uh, Challenge Cup to try and see who they've got and, and in what positions can they play these players in because they have a lot of multifaceted, multi-talented uh, players that can play a multitude of positions. So 
trying to figure out who fits best where and with who is going to be what the Challenge Cup is all about. Now, that's not to say that they're not going to be competitive. Amanda is very adamant that she hates losing, wants to win, and is very competitive. But that's also to say that there's still going to be some things that they need to work on because she's trying to learn them as much as they are trying to learn each other and her. So it's going to take some time. The hope is that you take some time during the Challenge Cup and you are competitive during the regular season. So there you go. Kyle, any thoughts on the uh, Challenge Cup? I, I it's it's glorified preseason. <laughs> it's it's like it's like when they do the International Champions Cup on the men's side, and it's like, hey, look, you know, Madrid and Manchester United and Chelsea and Juventus and all these teams are playing, and none of them care because it's it doesn't. You can give them a trophy at the end all you want. It doesn't make it a real thing. Are you telling me that you would not go to a Manchester United game if it was at a uh, Camping World Stadium? I'd probably go watch. It's just it's not the same. But that's just because how often do you get to see those teams in any semblance of appearance? You know what I mean? Like even even if we're only seeing top players play for small cameos and not putting in 100% effort, I would still probably do it. I wouldn't pay a lot of money. It would it have to depend on how much it is, but I I'd probably go for the experience. But it's I it wouldn't be like and I'd probably only be that way for the for for a team that I follow like United. I wouldn't look at a game and go like, "Oh my god, Real Madrid are in town. I have to go see them." Because I know it's a game that they're not taking seriously. I know there's guys who are going to play for them that are never going to actually play for for the top side in any like real form. So it Well, unless it's, they're they're future stars. Sure. But there's also plenty of not future stars that that we see and stuff like that. I don't know. Uh, like I said, they're glorified preseason tournaments. I guess good for fans because usually they're cheaper than regular season games. So so like I understand the purpose of them. They just don't matter if that makes sense. I I don't I don't have an issue with them. I don't have a problem with them. They they serve a purpose and and I think they're better than just regular preseason friendlies because there is at least somewhat more of a competitive mindset like. The Pride are going to be more competitive in the Challenge Cup than they were against Florida State. And and you mentioned the state of, of women's college soccer, and, and I agree with you on your, all your points there. So I don't think it's – I think I think Florida State really wanted to win that game and absolutely had the ability to win. I think Orlando treated that as an opportunity to – we're trying new things, we're learning new things. We're, we're a new team. We're a young team. We're figuring all this out. And so it's just a different mentality in preseason. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, um, over the course of the next couple of shows, I hope to get some of the interviews I had with uh, some of the Pride players on Media Day here in the show. Um, this week, we're, we're not going to do it because it's a little bit too short notice with the game coming up tonight. I, I want to be able to kind of get some of these interviews out there. And plus I'll be writing some of these uh, interviews into stories for the Orlando Sentinels. So uh got to pick and choose which ones I could put on here because Erin uh, McLeod, man, uh, she is such a great interview and she had a lot to say about a multitude of different subjects that I, I think it deserves not just to, you know, throw the audio in here kind of thing. I want to write something about everything she said, because not only did she talk about the pride and, and kind of the project, because you know, she's, she's kind of seen it 
progress over the last couple of years, but also the Canadian women's national team, the equal pay movement that the U.S. has had compared to the Canadian women's national team and how progression has been and, and such. It's a lot, you know, and, and I want that to get kind of a, a good exposure out there to try and get some people talking again. So that is uh, what we're going to be doing here. For that. Sorry, are you trying to say that we're not a professional institution to make these these interviews heard? Are you saying that our credibility is less than the Orlando Sentinels? Yes, yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. That's probably fair. Yeah. <laughs> and I I don't know if I necessarily mean that in reverence to the Orlando Sentinel. I think I more mean that is just knowing us. Listen, the Orlando Sentinel has been around since 1876. We have been around since 2015. I don't know if I don't know if longevity of being around necessarily works too, because like there's a lot of people and things that have been around for a long time, and that doesn't make them less shitty. In fact, it makes them more shitty in a lot of cases. Wow. So that may not be the best best of arguments. They've they've got. I mean, listen, it's the same argument as like, hey, or Manchester United has been around longer than MLS. Like there, there's there's something to say about that, and that is all I will say about it as well. Um, with I, I take MLS over Man United right now, so that's, that's, and I think you would too, Mr. Chelsea fan. Yeah, uh, let's you, not yeah, let's not talk about MLS that. Right let's not talk about Chelsea. That that's a pain. That's we're, gonna just... get, we're gonna get this podcast sanctioned. God. Uh, tough tough times out there for, for the Blues. Speaking of not tough times, though, we've got some Orlando City, some OCB news that the that we've got, right? Yeah, hey, they got a coaching staff now. Um, yeah. And it is not the same coaching staff as previous years. That is kind of the big news that they have. Um, the big news is that they have hired outside coaches that are not from the academy to coach this team, which means they're actually somewhat taking this seriously. Marcelo Nevelef, who is the head of the academy, is not coaching OCB this year. He is going to be serving as the academy director and only the academy director. Now, the head coach is going to be Martin Perlman. Um, his assistant will be Manuel Goldberg, and his strength and conditioning coach will be Vander Salas. Now, goalkeeper coach, he's been around since the very beginning. I've been told that there is no Orlando City without him. It is Marcos Machado. He has legit been with this organization since the very beginning. He was one of the ones who talked to Phil Rollins and convinced him to come to Orlando and start a team here. He was the goalkeeper coach in USL in the early years of MLS. He was the pride goalkeeper coach. He was the OCB goalkeeper coach. He was the academy goalkeeper coach. He has been everywhere and has been involved in this organization since the very beginning so it is nice to see him back with ocb being their goalkeeper it's, coach and he's and he's a good coach he's it's not it's not a it's not a uh a nostalgia hire he he has like you can see the fruits of his coaching across yeah. the years oh yeah so absolutely very 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 happy for him to be back with with the organization yes uh or with ocb yeah literally over a decade being with this team which is crazy. He's probably the longest tenured staff member outside of K. Rollins. That is weird to think about. Anyways, uh, Perlman, the head coach, he is coming from Argentina, 
and Club Comunicaciones, where he was the manager in 2021. Uh, that was Primera B, or B, in Argentina. So now he comes to America to uh, coach another B side, basically. Uh, he's from Buenos Aires. He played in Israel for quite a bit of time, uh, played all over Argentina and played in Greece. He's got a lot of experience from a lot of different places playing-wise, um, but he uh, he only retired playing-wise in 2019, so he's still very new and very young. And for young players to have a young coach, I think helps quite a bit because he can relate to them a bit more and be able to kind of talk to their level, not down to their level, which some older coaches have been known to do. So that is good to have a, a young up-and-coming coach involved in this team. Now, his assistant, uh, Manuel Goldberg, he comes from Barca Academy in Miami. He's also worked with River Plate. He's worked with the U16 Argentina national team. He was in the Maccabi Games in 2019. Um, he started his coaching career in Israel. So two, two players or two coaches that have had roots in Israel, which is very unique, uh, but also has uh, a lot of experience in Buenos Aires as well. So Argentinian and Jewish. Because that is a thing. And then also, the strength and conditioning coach, uh, Van der Salas, he has a lot of ties to, well, basically the entire Orlando City coaching staff as well as uh, Luis Muzi because he was in FC Dallas since 2012. So he was actually with the first team in 2015 under Oscar Pereja. So a lot of experience and a lot of familiarity with uh, the entire coaching staff of Orlando City as well as Luis Muzi. So it seems like some very good hires. Um, but again, just to put this in perspective, Orlando City B is very much a B team. Winning doesn't necessarily matter as much as getting these guys minutes. Um, winning helps in terms of the mentality and the, the growth of some of these players, but at the end of the day, the development is the biggest thing. And um, yeah, so uh, one of the big things that OCB and, and MLS Next Pro in general will be doing is they'll be streaming their games, but they'll be doing it on the MLS Next Pro website. I have not heard anything about any like DVRing or getting to watch games. Uh, these games will be single camera, so no multicam, no like professional uh, production. Really? Is, are they going? Are they going to be freely available, or are these? I believe they are freely available. Yes. Okay. Okay. So I have I, I, I have not heard anything different saying otherwise. Uh, but okay. the big thing is that it's it's a single remote camera, and this is one of those cameras that is like designed to, to follow the ball. The games are available to go to if you want to go to the games in Kissimmee, uh, but I don't know how they'll be to watch on a stream. And it'll be even harder for the broadcasters to be able to call these games because they will also be remote. So imagine calling a game from a single camera setup that only just follows the ball remotely with no one manning the camera. Yeah, but I feel like you could just make up player names and most of the people watching aren't going to know anyway. So you just, <laughs> it's it's just, unprofessional, just, just, Kyle. I mean, so is putting it on a single camera hmm. feed. Also, remember who you're talking to. Mm. 
you're a professional. I would never. You've in in the past been professional. This is fair. I have done it occasionally. No, I I whatever. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it's it's not whatever about me being professional, <laughs> which is also a whatever. But whatever about the quality of the streams, I I don't really care. And I don't think anyone's going to be watching these to see the quality of coverage. It is at least nice that they're going to be available to watch. But I think the coaching hires are good. I think bringing in outside people that that can develop a really good. I mean, you need a, you need a feeder team. You need you need youth that we can bring up into the first team squad and continue to develop. And MLS has really really hopped on that train over the last couple of years. And so I think Orlando making the right moves to delve into that and not just treating OCB like a complete joke is nice. Hmm. We will we will see. Um, we we will absolutely see how it plays out, but. For right now, that is uh, the news for OCB. They they start their season soon, uh, and that's the that's the funny thing. They still don't have an official roster, but they start on March twenty sixth. So as of right now, zero players have been officially signed to the team. But uh, I I can assume uh, a few of the players that will be involved. I can't. I, I don't want to say anything for certain. I know of a number of players who are going to be involved with OCB, uh, and if you follow LF Orlando City stuff, you can you can figure that out for yourself. But um, there are some former draft picks involved, some longtime academy players involved, and uh, that is all I will say about that. Right. So, Kyle, with that, um, there's really not many like big things to talk about. We talked a little bit about the Pride and, and Orlando City and OCB now. Um, what I want to start talking about now is just some MLS news in general, right? Uh, CONCACAF Champions League has been happening and MLS is actually like winning their games outside of Montreal. Uh, everyone has been playing pretty good. All things considered, you know, Cruz Azul beat Montreal one nothing, and that was in Mexico, but New England won three, nothing against Pumas. Seattle won three nothing against Leon and uh NYCFC won three one against the team from Guatemala. Uh do you think that this is a year that MLS can actually make it in CONCACAF? Um yes, with the caveat of what do we consider making it? Because I don't uh, think an MLS two MLS team teams can making win. it to the final. Oh, uh, uh, no. I think one could. I just think historically, you got to figure a lot of these big wins are, were also coming before the MLS season was really getting underway. And as you get more into the MLS season and players are hurt and or tired and it becomes more of an issue and then we run into MLS clubs collapsing like they've done historically. I, I would love to see MLS win. I would love to see that. I just I'm I'm not optimistic. I mean they haven't proven otherwise, I guess. Right. Uh all right. Uh other random MLS news. Have you seen the new Nashville SC stadium? I have, actually. It is actually like really impressive. Thirty thousand seat stadium, biggest MLS so- or biggest soccer specific stadium in the country. Yeah, it's uh 
I just beyond the fact that I I like the stadium, I just love that we're getting more soccer specific stadiums. It's it's really nice to see. It shows a commitment to MLS. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Shall we continue on and round out the show with our usual stuff? So, weird news, red cards, slash playing advantage, and before we get to that, where are they now? So, Kyle, would you like an Orlando City or Orlando Pride player to figure out where are they now? Um, Let's go Orlando City only because Pride players that have gone have not gone very far. They've not gone places where we don't know where they are. Oh, that's, that's, not, a, that's not at all true. There, For the there's most plenty, part. There's plenty of players that have uh, made it big in, in different roles in the world. No, 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 no. I'm, but that's what I'm saying. Ones that have gone and like we, they've disappeared. and We haven't heard from them. Ah, right. Like Orlando City, Orlando Pride players that have left have like gone on to do, like, good things. <laughs> sure. Uh, th- I mean, they, they've been doing good things. Anyways, uh, let's talk about Eric Ustruck today. Eric Ustruck, who was a original Ooh. Orlando City player from 2011 to 2013, when he retired from the USL team to become a member of the front office. He was part of the front office from 2014 on until last year when he left the team in August. So he has been not only a uh, member of the team admin department, he was a team administrator for the early days of MLS as well as the last year of USL. He was also an assistant GM to uh, all the GMs that have come throughout. He was the GM of the Orlando pride for a year and, um, he has held multitude of roles and worn a lot of hats throughout this organization. But uh, this past year, he decided it was time to move on. And uh, he has now gone on and, uh, well, he's, he's not with the club anymore. He has gone into the medical field, funny enough. So um, it's it's interesting because the company that he works for now is... Either way, it's a medical company that has actually been doing a lot of COVID testing for Orlando City. So there, there is there is still kind of a way that he's been involved. But uh, Aventus Health is the name of the company. He's the director of business development there. So that is uh, our Where Are They Now for uh, Orlando City original Eric Ustruck. All the way back to the Austin Aztecs days in 2009. Okay, now. It's time for our weird news and red card slash playing advantage. So, Kyle, what have you got for weird news? Oh, giant spiders will reportedly fall from the sky this summer in the U.S. I heard about this, and I'm just, I hate it. I hate everything. Scientists are saying Joro spiders are likely to spread beyond the state of Georgia and could colonize the entire East Coast this year. This invasive species took Georgia by storm last year after arriving from Asia, Scientists believe they traveled here via shipping containers. Hmm. As someone who does not enjoy spiders, oh, this is oh, this is this is this is excellent. Um, this does definitely scares the shit out of me. Um, through an interesting process known as ballooning, the spider is able to use its silk to catch and ride winds to new locales. With the help of wind currents and electric fields, the spider releases a few gossamer threads into the air and receives an electric push off the ground. So electric spiders are going to invade the eastern seaboard. Cool. I, I'm being told that they are harmless, but this just sounds like 
you know, the big spider agenda. I'm not sure that I believe it. I I hate spiders so very much. And it absolutely frightens me that there will be lots of them, even if they are supposedly harmless. Yeah, it's not it's not great. It's it's definitely not great. Not great, Bob. Right. Um my weird news for today is going to be about a uh, a chicken. Yeah. So, um this this happened out in um Louisiana. So, uh, you know how Louisiana is known for, for Popeyes, right? Yeah, Louisiana Kitchen, Popeyes. Um, so, uh, at a Popeyes in Louisiana, there is a chicken coop. And uh, a chicken broke into the store and started just kind of being the, the pet of the store. So... Um, they built him an entire coop behind the store. He just wanders into the store to get fed if he gets hungry. And, uh, yeah, kind of messed up. Kind of a lot messed up, actually. And the store has said, we've actually been increasing sales in business. So he's meeting a lot of new friends just to come in and see Rocco the chicken. Where they serve chicken at the restaurant. Ah, That's so messed up. I love it. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, all right. Uh, any weird or not weird news? We did the weird news. Any red card slash playing advantage this week for you? Kyle? Oh, I do. Well, first of all, and I, I, mine are exclusive playing advantages, which is very rare for me. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I'd I'd like to piggyback off of what Brad said in the last episode with the hard Mountain Dew. I would like to play advantage to them for creating Hard Mountain Dew because I think it's quite good. I don't love the original flavor, actually, but... I mean, it's it's literally I'm, just the original Mountain Dew, but with, like, alcohol. Yeah, it's the one where I taste the seltzer the most. Mm. The rest tastes more like just Mountain Dew, but, uh, but I appreciate them all. So, good job, Pepsi. Mountain Dew, very good. Uh, I'd also like to play advantage to the creators of Elden Ring, which is the first... Uh, game from them that I have ever played. They made the Dark Souls games. They are supposed to be very hard. They are very hard, uh, but I got into this one, and it has been very good. It has been surprisingly good. I have enjoyed every second, so it's great. And uh, I'll give a red card because because we should. I'll give a red card to uh, Vladimir Putin and friends. I'd say that is that is very fair to do. I'd say red cards all around, and and we'll play a massive advantage. We'll actually give the automatic three points to Ukraine. It's fair, yeah. Sanctions for Russia. And uh, Russian businessmen that may own teams. Yeah, my red cards to Roman Abramovich, because fuck him and everything that he's doing. Um, And fuck, you know, red card to the Chelsea fans for chanting his name at the game the other day. Can you not be less tone deaf, please? Thank you very much. That that is that is my red card for today. Also, random. Uh, I don't know if this is a red card or playing advantage. Joe Buck is going to ESPN. 
That's a red card for all of us that are going to have to hear him on ESPN. Monday Night Football, new voice of Monday Night Football, and uh, Saturday Night Baseball. Well, I mean, he might be the one thing capable of actually improving Monday Night Football, but that's a really low bar. So wait, if he's leaving Fox, who's the new voice of the World Series? Hmm. That's a good question is a good question but not for this show because we don't talk about baseball here we may go inside baseball but we don't talk about baseball i see what you did there Uh uh-huh and on that note back though baseball is back and on that note we will go ahead and take our leave uh no no macho man today i completely forgot about him uh but when brad's not here he usually doesn't show so that is what it is anyways uh be sure to follow coincidence be sure to follow all of the the coverage over the course of the next couple of days from Orlando City over at the Orlando Sentinel, uh, and whenever Gavin decides to write on the Orlando Soccer Journal. Uh, so with that, that's been Kyle Foley. I've been Austin David. Thank you very much for tuning in to another edition of the Orlando Soccer Show. Uh, we will be back hopefully next week. Uh, I don't want to make any promises because, well, we we haven't really been able to keep up with that. So. Uh, yeah uh with that we will go ahead and say goodbye thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time and you're dirty brown water trash and you're always going to be dirty brown water trash <laughs>